Hello and welcome to Inside Out. It's your girl Jane Z. Today we're talking about all things skincare, which happens to be one of my favorite topics. When I moved to Boston for grad school, my health went all out of whack. I had gut issues and breakouts, and and a lot of it I later learned was tied to stress and diet. But at the time, I was so busy with school and running a startup that I didn't have time to think about health. A few years ago, I went to this panel event where Megan Maupin, today's guest, was one of the speakers. At the time, she was starting this little company called Atola, which uses data to create personalized skin serums for your face. I was so fascinated by her talk that I went to one of their first pop-ups in Boston where I filled out a little quiz, got a consult with her co-founder, and got my own personalized little vial. And I still remember the formula because it worked really well. It was grapeseed oil with carrot seed oil and sea buckthorn oil and a few rose petals for scent. I remember using the oil and actually seeing a difference with my breakouts. And for the first time in a long time, I was like, oh, I can do something about my skin and I probably should. Going to that Atola pop-up was one of the reasons I went down this YouTube rabbit hole and started learning a ton about skincare, different ingredients and different products and skin types, and just really educating myself on what works and what doesn't. Because there's so many products out there and it can be such a struggle finding the right set of products for your skin. And that's exactly the problem that Meg and her team have been trying to solve at Atola for several years now. And it turns out the problem they were trying to solve is something that a lot of other companies in the space care about, including Function of Beauty, the personalized hair care brand. So much so that Function actually acquired Atola earlier this year. Yay! Cue applause sound. According to Meg, it was pretty much a match made in heaven where Atola brought their data and their proprietary skincare manager tool and Function brought their manufacturing capability so they can scale personalization to the nth degree. In today's episode, we go deep on Meg's own skincare journey from horrible acne in high school to surviving extreme conditions as a rock climber. And she also takes us through her business journey of working with multiple co-founders before ultimately going through with the acquisition solo. As if Meg isn't cool enough already, she also lives on a farm. Meg's partner is a farmer, and so part of her daily routine is literally feeding baby cows and running around with goats and her dogs and cats. It sounds so idyllic and wonderful. So a big part of how Meg stays sane as a busybody is living so close to nature. And her weekly routine of meal prepping, as well as training for a big climb, possibly in Switzerland. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to follow Inside Out with Jane Z on Spotify or Apple for conversations like this every Tuesday. I would love to hear about your skincare journey or your routine if you have one. You can leave a comment or send me a DM on Instagram at Inside Out with Jane. All right, onto the show. This is Inside Out with Jane Z, the podcast that helps you build a thriving business without losing your mind. My name is Jane, and my mission is to help you build and grow your business while having time for the people and things that matter in your life. Join me every Tuesday as I sit down with an entrepreneur who's already building their dream business. We'll walk through their journey 
tips for success, and how to mentally prepare for the long road ahead. Because building your dream business and dream life is the long game. And that's what we're all about right here on Inside Out. Welcome to the podcast, Meg. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. I remember meeting you. It must have been like three or four years ago now at that panel. It's been so fun just watching your journey with Atala and remember jumping in for that photo shoot too. So it's been cool being like a tiny part of the Atala journey. Yeah, that was such a fun photo shoot. But yeah, wow, so much to talk about in those few years. (laughs) I know, lots changed. So typically I like to start out by rewinding all the way back to the beginning to talk about your childhood, you know, who was young, Meg. And since we'll be talking about skincare today, maybe you can share when skincare became a big part of your life. Yes. So I think to understand young Meg, we might want to take a look at my parents because I think each of their personalities really influenced me a lot. My dad was an Air Force fighter pilot. So very much a risk taker, very much an adrenaline junkie, um, flying F-16s, kind of grew up with my dad always encouraging us to take risks. And my mom was... Air Force intelligence. She's super smart. If you can imagine a mom that works in intelligence, she's basically like a spy, like knew everything, super detail oriented. And I feel like the combination of my parents made me a calculated risk taker, which definitely Mm. influenced me to become an entrepreneur, even though neither one of them were entrepreneurs. Growing up, I was the oldest child. I was definitely an overachiever, kind of a a bossy, sassy young girl (laughs) who had big dreams. So I wanted to be an astronaut slash fashion designer slash marine biologist. Those are like my three things. I didn't do any of those, but (laughs) I was super passionate about art. I was really good at art growing up. It was just like a natural gift that I got um, from my dad's side of the family. Um, I sold my first painting when I was 12 years old, which was really cool. Um, I did some art shows in high school, took AP art, but I was really good at math. And it was just Mm -hmm. something about the way my brain worked. And I knew that in the future, I was going to do something that combined math and art which is how I got into architecture. And eventually I think how I ended up in this route of technology and product development, kind of marrying data with creative and um, using all of that information and my creative skills to make new products that helped people. And I think the other thing growing up was how much I cared about sustainability at a young age. I actually became a vegetarian in high school because Mm. it was more environmentally friendly. I studied sustainability as my minor in addition to architecture. And so I think the other thing that's kind of been a common thread, even though my career has a bit jumped around through different sectors, has just been sustainability and building products that are better for the planet and better for people. Wow. It sounds like you've been able to pull all those threads into building a Tola and it's all come full circle, which is amazing. Yes, it has. I could have never guessed this path when I was in college or or thinking about what I wanted to do. But looking back, it makes a lot of sense because all the things that I learned kind of 
built on each other to eventually start Atola, which solved my own personal problems with my skin. So maybe touching on the second part of your question, skin. In high school, I had bad acne and I went on Accutane. And that kind of began my relationship with my skin. It really did a great job of solving my acne, but created its own problems of like super dry skin, mm-hmm. sensitivity. Um, I followed a vegetarian and then vegan diet basically like throughout high school and then college. And I had gut related issues that really didn't surface until grad school. I think because I was already managing them through my diet, like I didn't really realize that I had them until my diet started getting kind of bad in grad school because I was so busy. Kind of this holistic health journey also tied into my skincare journey, which really started in high school. And being someone who had acne, had a lot of empathy for the customer problem we're solving um, because it's really an emotional issue. Like I remember the feeling of in high school having really bad breakouts and not wanting to go to school or leave the house or like crying because my makeup didn't look right. and I didn't know how to cover these up. It really Mm. affects your self-confidence, especially when you're doing everything you can to try to solve the problem and you can't figure it out. And luckily Accutane worked for me, but Accutane is also a very extreme measure to cut. It's kind of like the last thing that you try. And so everything I tried before that just didn't work. And I just remember how terrible it felt and how much things about our appearance, especially our face, which we look in the mirror and we see every day, really mm-hmm. ties into to aspects of mental health too. I had a similar journey to you in terms of both the skin and gut issues. I started having major gut issues when I moved to Boston for grad school. And I think a lot of it was the stress and a lot of it was diet. Later, I found out that I was actually gluten intolerant. So anyway, in grad school, I had gut issues and then my skin was not doing good, but I was too busy to do anything about it. Yeah. And I think when I met you and learned about Atola was one of the first times I really stepped back and was like, oh, you know, like maybe I can do something about this. I almost went on Accutane and then I started researching all the side effects and I was like, I don't want like my full face to break out. So I ended up not using it and that jumpstarted my like skincare research journey and Mm -hmm. kind of healing it myself. It's so hard, as you mentioned, to kind of pinpoint what the cause is, which was one of the the key reasons why we took a data-driven approach at Atola and why I think we'll continue to see in the industry the tie between gut health, skin, microbiome, hormones. Like it's all really it's all part of your body mm-hmm. and skin is the largest organ. So it makes sense that all of these things are like an ecosystem that influence each other. Right, right. And they interact with the environment too, yep. right? Like you started doing outdoor sports and was it climbing or, or mm-hmm. hiking? And how did that affect your skin? Yeah, so I started climbing in college, really got super into it when I moved to Boston. That was rough on my skin just because you're outside for really long periods of time. It's like dirty, it's sweaty. Oftentimes you're in a lot of sun and you don't really have 
accessible what you do at the gym where like, oh, I worked out and I can wash my face right after. Mm-hmm. So I saw clogged pores and things like that. I also noticed some really weird things like if I climbed in the morning or I was sweating a lot or working out in the morning and I'd used a really strong active the night before, it would actually cause a reaction on my skin sweating hmm. in the morning. So I, it was just really interesting things like that, or it would interact with like my sunscreen or other things I was using. Got super into sunscreen after getting into climbing because I am very fair skinned and I get burnt really easily. Mm-hmm. But one of the, the most major things that happened with like climbing in my skin was when I worked at Patagonia and I lived in like Lake Tahoe, Reno area, it was mm. extremely dry. And I would bike to work every day because I didn't have a car. And the Patagonia office out there is a little bit outside Reno. It was really hot during the summer. And I would bike to work. And then I would also, like, work out at the gym afterwards. And my skin totally freaked out. It was mm. just, like, red, irritated, dry, sunburnt, breakout. Ugh. Like, I could not figure it out. Because, again, mm. like, the change in climate made it so that everything I had done before, like all the tools I had, you know, in Boston and that climate, I was like, all right, I'm going to try using this product. Like, I know that this works for me. It's usually pretty calming. Didn't mm-hmm. work. Nice. That was so frustrating too. I spent the whole summer just being like, all right, I guess my skin's just going to be like really irritated all the time. I'm really struggling with what to do to take care of it. Um, and that was really hard. I didn't quite figure it out before I moved back. <laughs> Dang. How long were you out there? I was out there for three months. So actually that was like a really pivotal moment for my career because it was in between my first year of grad school where I had the idea for Atola and was experiencing some of these gut issues and changes with my skin and trying to get under control. Then I worked at Patagonia and had that skin experience and was also very inspired by the culture there. And I was doing some really cool projects on the like insights team as a UX designer. And that All of those things kind of culminated in me coming back and being like, you know what, I'm going to try this. And it was that second year of grad school. As soon as I came back, I signed up for some entrepreneurship classes and started pursuing Atola. That's so cool. Yeah. So did you have an idea going into those classes of like, I'm going to do something skincare related or were you just kind of like, I want to try something? Yeah, I had the idea about doing something skincare related. I was in a program called IDM, Integrated Design and Management, and our first year was all about studio, just similar to any design studio. And our second semester of that first year, we had to design a new product and we could pick any product or product experience that we wanted. And the cool thing about IDM is that There were only 21 students, and they were split between designers, engineers, and people with business backgrounds. And so I was on an interdisciplinary team with a woman who had started a skincare company before and another architect slash designer. And when we were thinking about the product experience we wanted to tackle, I was really at the same time going through my skin issues and my gut health issues. And we started talking about how hard it was to choose the right skincare products. And we just ended up buying and throwing stuff away and how stupid of an experience that was and how wasteful. And Mm -hmm. so actually that year, I worked with them on a shopping experience that was personalized. So it wasn't Hmm. the products yet, but it was kind of the seed of the idea where we designed a shopping experience where you tested your skin with a device and then got a personalized in-aisle experience. Hmm. And I was kind of ruminating on that over the summer. So yeah, we had already kind of together shared 
this problem that we all faced. And like, as I was working on it through IDM, I was like, Oh my gosh, so many people have this problem where they just like, don't know what to choose. And when I came back the second year and wanted to pursue working on it, those two girls weren't interested on in going any further. I was really into it. Cause I was like, I'm living this problem and it sucks. And I think a lot of other people have it as well. I met Sid, my co-founder, who is a data scientist. And we decided to take this initial idea of what I had explored on like the product experience level and really knew that the key was having it be very data-driven. And then we started building out the Atola like, architecture and whole mm. experience. Just because I'm curious about these things, and I've been through co-founder stuff myself, mm-hmm. had you like established anything as a company before those other girls left? Or was it like a pretty peaceful breakup? Yeah, it was pretty peaceful. I wanted to be safe and like fair. So I had a conversation with them that was like, Hey, I'm pretty interested in pursuing this idea. Do you want to join me? I'm planning on, you know, doing this and this and this and these classes. They said no. And then I had them sign a document that basically said, uh, and I paid them and it said anything that we worked on in class, I'm not entitled to pursue later on and had an honest conversation about it. And then we didn't really form as a company until later in the fall semester. So I met Sid and I had another student co-founder, Nava, and we all just explored it through some of the classes at the Martin Trust Entrepreneurship Center. I was always pretty serious about it, but the other two became more serious about it after like working on it for a few months. And we formed an LLC at that point, like kind of late in the fall. And then in January was when we filed our patent, which Mm -hmm. has all of our names on it. And then before we started fundraising in the summer, we became a C-Corp. Okay. So you transitioned from LLC to C-Corp. Mm-hmm. Was that a hard process? It was expensive legally. It wasn't too hard. It was a little bit tricky from the perspective that actually at the same time, Nava left the company. So I had like several stages of people I worked with. So she left because she wanted, she was staying in school and obviously Mm. didn't have the same time or ability to pursue it. And Sid actually dropped out of school to keep working on it. So we kind of had a founder breakup at that stage and that actually kind of just became part of the C-Corp conversion because we were changing the structure of the company anyways. Got it. And was that like a cordial breakup with Nava? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was really hard. I think it was hard for all of us because we wanted to keep working with her. We all really liked working together. Mm -hmm. She really cared about the idea, but she just didn't have the time. Sid and I were going full time on it and making a lot of sacrifices. So it was cordial, but it wasn't easy by any means. It felt, it literally just felt like a relationship breakup with someone Mm -hmm. that you care about. And it didn't feel like easy by any means. <laughs> yeah. It, it's always like either a breakup or further down the line, it would be like a divorce. I was actually going to mention that Sid left as well last year oh. and that felt like a divorce, but it felt like we were still co-parents because he was really mm. supportive during our acquisition process and everything else. Oh. So it felt like a divorce, but still like very friendly, but that was super hard because we were in it so deep from the very yeah. beginning. Oh, Um, man. So he left during 2020? Yeah, at the end of 2020. Dang, that must have been hard. So I was the last woman standing. Oh, man. (laughs) Literally. Yeah. Wow. Did that play into your decision to partner with Function of Beauty? 
It honestly did. A couple things played a role. That was one just on a personal level. Do I think that I can do this by myself? Maybe, but I think it would be easier and we could win if we had the right partner. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to sell the company. I actually went out to go fundraising, but I still had the same idea of needing the right partner. And I was actually originally thinking it would be like a strategic investor, mm-hmm. like a J&J or a L'Oreal or someone who could help us go into other channels like retail. Yeah. And it just so happened that I met Elle Catterton, who did Function's latest round, PE round. And I just saw the fit there. It made so much sense to me. Actually, we have the same mission. We're both MIT founders. We each Mm. have unique aspects of our technology that are complementary. And I would much rather go to a company that shared that mission and vision that's still a startup mentality, even though a bit bigger, and scale Atola within that than trying Mm. to do it by myself or trying to do it with like a huge company where we'd be such a tiny, tiny piece of their overall strategy. Yeah, because the team was, you guys are like six or seven Yeah, up until now. Wow. Yeah, pretty small. Yeah, super lean. I yeah. remember like the first time I ordered a full-size bottle of Atola. I think you literally made it and you biked it over to my house. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. (laughs) I probably did. Yeah. That was like when we were doing oils and it was like easier for Mm. us to mix. But yeah, we had a lot of great partners along the way. We had like awesome lab partners that we worked with. We had a lot of like dev and digital product partners and we kept our internal team pretty small and like focused on our key areas where we felt like we had expertise in and then outsourced like other expertise that we needed. That's smart. The slower burn. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys end up raising like a few rounds of funding? We did. Uh, we raised a pre-seed and a seed and then did a couple convertible notes in between. And then, yeah, the acquisition actually came at the moment where we were thinking about raising a Series A. So we total raised about a little over $4 million. Can you share how much the acquisition was for or is that on the DL. That's on the DL, but it was pretty good terms for us. And I'm happy about how it turned out. It was a great fit and also made sense from the function side. So they basically like have made us their data and insights and digital product team. And I think like that makes a lot of sense for them. Were they already planning to expand into skincare? They actually soft launched skincare already last year. And I think most people don't know about it because they haven't put a lot of marketing dollars behind it, Mm -hmm. but it is on their website and it's kind of been experimental so far about the offering and the customer, but we're planning to launch a combined offering with kind of the best of both worlds, like function learnings and Atola learnings Mm. in Q1 next year. So we'll relaunch it in a, a bigger way and it will include a lot of elements of Atola, like our skincare manager tool, our skin test, and some of the ways that we do personalization. And then like they actually have extraordinary manufacturing capabilities where Mm. we had like manufacturing partners and this like modular customization system. They have so much technology innovation around the machinery themselves and like the ability to do truly custom to like the billionth degree at scale. It's really amazing. And I actually think, again, it makes so much sense to partner 
our two companies because we have the digital product innovation and the data innovation and they have manufacturing and together that opens like a lot of possibilities. So I always wondered about customization. I know you guys are very AI and machine learning heavy, but I've seen a few other brands out there, skincare and otherwise, that say they're custom, but they really just have like a few prepackaged formulas. Do you see that in the market? Yeah, I think, you know, it's so hard because the word custom or personalized has been so overused by different companies that are doing exactly what you said, like just matching you to something that they've already made. We're all trying to think of a word right now to truly describe what we do. Uh, But I have seen that a lot. I mean, that that's especially like going to be a large company strategy because larger companies have enormous manufacturing facilities where they make all their products. So they're making like at least 20,000, a hundred thousand of a single SKU. They don't have the ability to do the adjustments that smaller startups do. Our innovation is like actually quite different than functions. Functions, as I mentioned, has like the ability to do like literally billions of potential combinations. We were more limited in our combinations, but the approach we took was always changing them based on the data. So our total number of formulas were always changing and adapting. Even though we didn't have the ability to do billions of them, we were actually doing it very smartly based on our data, like adding these ingredients, adding these branches to our potential ingredient combinations based on what we're learning. So we took kind of like an expanding and contracting approach but didn't have the ability to kind of do it to this like billionth degree. Although I was hoping to get there and now we're, we kind of jump started (laughs) that (laughs) process with function. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's awesome. I always wondered too, like, is fully personalized necessary? Because if you think about all the products that are out there, yes, there's a frustration in like finding out the right combination of products for your own skin. But I kind of feel like if you experiment enough, like you'll find something that works for you. So I'm curious what you guys have learned over the years, whether it's about like, you know, there's like normal oily, you know, combination dry, like Are there new patterns that you guys have found or is it really that like every person has a very unique set of skincare needs? I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think people's skin is unique, but there are great products out there. And the problem with the matching is actually just, it's really just a data problem. It's not that the formulas don't exist or have never existed before. It's that it's a matching, like knowing who needs what at what time. So I actually Mm. think more interesting than custom is the adaptive piece, like making Mm. sure people have the right ingredients at the right time, or as a company, making sure you have the right formulas for the right season or the right mix of customers. And so Mm. that was always our goal at Atola, why we never really prioritize having a billion formulas and did our like feedback loop approach. Cause we were just like, we want to have the right ones at the right time. And I think mm. that also makes sense for like a retail strategy is like using the data to make sure you have the right assortment. Mm. What we found at Atola is that environmental factors play a huge role. Something that's not talked about as much as pH. I mean, skin barrier is starting to become more popular, but pH is really the measure of the skin barrier. And one of the most most important factors in what's going on with your skin. And we found a lot of trends in pH. Like for example, women's skin becomes more alkaline as they get older. And it kind of relates to issues that mature skin faces, such as being more dehydrated 
or seeing rougher texture. And so there's a lot of trends like that that are very interesting. And as you can imagine, like pH directly translates into product or your cleansers Mm. or how they all work together. So those are some of the trends we're starting to uncover. And we're not just limited to thinking about our own formulas. It's really a big picture thing of like, how should people's entire routine work together? That's why we built the skincare manager. How can we understand how your products interact and make it be the most successful for you? The pHs of the different products, if the ingredients have a conflict or not. So I really think that it's really about the adaptive piece or like the data-driven piece. And that's what's really missing on the market. There's a lot of different custom brands now, but it's really having an informed view based on real-time data, like through skin testing or having this larger picture of knowing what someone's entire routine is. It's not really about someone getting like one out of five cleansers. It's really about how the cleanser works with the entire ecosystem of their skin and everything else that they're doing and using. Do you guys have like a giant database of like, maybe not all, but like a bunch of the products out there and their ingredients and pH levels and things like that? We do. We actually built it ourselves for our skincare manager tool. We scraped a bunch of data. Like I think it's around 25,000 of the top used and top rated products on like Sephora, Ulta, Amazon. And then we have our own kind of algorithms that like looked through those inky lists and tagged like different ingredients and cataloged the percentages. And we also have our customers data on if they use that product, how they rate it, how often they use it, and if they liked it, etc. So what we have the capability to do, and I think you'll probably see from us in the future is recommend non-Atola or non-function products. Like people with skin similar to you use this sunscreen and rate it really highly. And I think that's really interesting. So we've kind of combined all this data about the ingredients and the pH with reviews. So we can do things similar to Netflix, like model is like build a community around people who have skin similar to you and what their recommendations are. Yes. I love that. I remember a couple of years ago, you mentioned it was like L'Oreal or one of these big companies that reached out wanting you guys to help them with the data aspect and and targeting customers. Was that another direction that you guys considered? It is something we've considered. We'll see how it plays into function strategy. Right now, they're they're large enough that it makes sense to keep it in-house. Like It becomes our secret sauce, like everything we know about the customers. And I almost positive that we have more skin data than most people on the market because it's not just consumer surveys. It's literal like skin test data over time. And we were kind of first to market with the skin test. So I feel very confident saying like we kind of know the most tangible information about people's skin. But I do think there's a possibility, depending how it goes, to be a resource or kind of a leader in that space, like maybe publishing like twice a year a report that everyone has access to just to kind of better the industry and educate people in the industry so we can all be working towards the same goals of like not producing a bunch of products that no one needs, really understanding who are the underrepresented customers and how do we serve them with the right products? Um, Mm -hmm. How can we be more sustainable? So I could imagine us doing something like that, even if it's not a revenue stream, just something we do so that we kind of become the thought leaders in the space. When you mentioned about 
the social aspect of like what other customers similar to your skin type buy. One of the sources I go to, and I'm sure a lot of people go to is influencers and YouTubers who, you know, talk about skincare. And my strategy has been to figure out of those beauty gurus who has a similar skin type to me. So for me, it'd be like Leah Yu and Hiram Mm. and looking more at their recommendations rather than say someone with dry skin, for example. But of course, that's still limited because that person is probably lives in a different environment and has different body than you do. Yeah, it's, it's still more helpful than just like reading random reviews on Sephora, like who is this person that gave it four stars? Like, I don't know anything about them. Like, how do I understand how good this product is by looking at the ratings? What I'm imagining we could build is, is some sort of scale. Like, this person is 80% similar to you. This person is, like, 95% similar to you. And we can mm. use a bunch of different sources of information for that, like where they live, their age, their skin measurements, their preferences, etc. But I think it could be built like that where you could actually see somehow like the percentage similarity and then figure out what advice of theirs you want to take versus not take. (laughs) It's cool hearing you talk about this stuff and still hear you ideate on what's coming next because for a lot of founders, like acquisition usually means like the end of the road, but it sounds like for you, this is like a way to just keep going and keep growing the company. Yeah, exactly. I I think if it was kind of the end of the road situation, I probably wouldn't have sold it so early, but Mm -hmm. it really, even though it was an acquisition, it really feels like a partnership where they bought us for a very specific reason, which was, we know a lot about skin. We have a patented model. We have a whole digital product built out and again, apply some of our insights to hair. So the first thing that our team's working on is, you know, the skincare integration and, and like relaunching it with elements of both Atola and function. And then we can think about like, does it make sense to have a hair test? What is like a hair care manager look like? Um, what are Mm -hmm. other learning from skin that could influence their hair care business or help us think about like other categories we want to go into in the future. Like does personalized deodorant make sense? Cause everybody has different chemistry and pH. That's one idea that's been in the back of my mind and function would be much closer to launching more body stuff than Atola was like, you know, two yeah. years into the business. So it is very cool to think about the possibilities. And I also appreciate how they integrated our team where my team is now very much focused on data and insights for building strategy and new products. And I think that that's such a great application of the skill sets of all of my employees and also where we can make the the biggest impact on the business. Does this mean that the whole Atola team is getting integrated into the function team? Yeah. So we'll actually stop selling Atola products at the end of this year and be working towards like the new offering. But my whole team is now function employees and we have been for about a month and a half. It's been going pretty well so far. Wow. Okay. So you made it sound super easy and smooth, like this whole process of partnering with function and integrating, but what were like some of the hard parts along the way? Um, I mean, the hardest part was that 
I did the whole acquisition by myself Mm because I was a solo founder. I felt confident that it was going to go through. Again, I'm I'm saying such great things about Function because they really just did an awesome job throughout the process. Like essentially at every milestone, the things that they said they were going to do by that time, like we're going to draft the legal docs and send you this by then, they did it. And that Mm -hmm. built a lot of trust. The fact that they followed through on everything that they said, I would have gotten worried if like, oh, they said they were going to send that a week ago. Like, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Where is that? Um, and it's always a bit of a weird process when you join with a competitor, because especially since they've already launched skincare, they are our competitor. So there's always mm-hmm. a fear in the back of your mind, like, oh, am I just giving away all my secrets? The thing that built the most trust was just that they did everything when they said they were going to do it and were really clear about the entire process. And it was very fast. From the first time I talked to L. Catterton to the time that the acquisition closed was about eight weeks, which is very fast. fast. Sometimes it takes six months, you know, but everyone was excited and we were like, well, we can't do it fast enough because we, we want to build really exciting things together. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was really hard to do it by myself. I did all the diligence material prep. I, it was so many hours. I was also still running a Tola full time. Mm -hmm. And the reason I chose not to tell my team was just in the off case that it didn't go through. I didn't want to make them feel nervous or scared until I had all the answers. Like I wanted to make sure I knew what exactly was going to happen to their jobs, how Mm. the transition was going to go, that I had all the details. And it was really nerve-wracking to think about how to communicate or how to tell them. We had a pretty good plan for that. It helped that I talked to them, then Function CEO came in, then we had one-on-one meetings with their HR. And Mm. the most important word that comes to mind is just like communication and transparency with me and function every step of the process and what to expect Mm. with my employees and function, how it's going to go, how reporting is going to go, what their jobs are at function. That really, really made the difference. I think of why it's been actually like a pretty good experience overall. So when you broke the news to the team, was everyone pretty excited and happy about it? Um, yeah, for for the most part, I think there's obvious anxiety with things mm-hmm. changing. And one of the hard parts culturally is thinking about how do you go from a super tight-knit small team to a larger team? I think that's a little bit of what people were nervous about is like, what does this mean for the autonomy that I have in, in my area? Mm-hmm. Again, the way that they set up our team has really helped with that. Like we're all still working together on the skincare integration project. Most of my team is going to continue to work together in this like insights strategy capacity. My engineer is now reporting into obviously like the head of engineering. I think that's actually a a great opportunity to have a more technical leader. Mm -hmm. I'm frankly excited about having a boss that I can learn from, but still functions culture, like pretty well aligned with Atolas, like where people are still pretty autonomous, but also collaborative. There's a lot of trust as part of the culture. They did a lot to make us feel welcome, had a happy Mm -hmm. hour for us, introducing us to different people. But I think that I I would say that's what people were most nervous about. Like, what does this mean for my day to day? And am I going to go from like really, having a lot of freedom and autonomy at a startup to will it feel like a larger company mm. where I'm being micromanaged? And the answer is no, it's very much still a startup culture, even though it's bigger than ours. How big is function? 
They're about 300 employees and like closer to 75 to 80 in the New York office. A lot of those employees are on the manufacturing and operations side. What does this mean for your role? Where are you going to sit in the company? I'm the VP of Consumer Insights. So I report directly to the CEO. They have a a super stacked C-suite, like people with incredible experience that I'm excited to learn from. And I get to work cross-functionally with all the different departments. So R&D on what the data is telling us about what new ingredients to add or what new products to develop. I get to work with Dev on integrating Atola best practices to their quiz or the skin test. In the future, could this have potential in retail, similar to what they did in Target for hair? So I'm actually loving it because I still get to touch everything and be involved in the strategy. But I also don't have to do all the shitty parts of being a founder <laughs> and raising money and like having board oh. meetings. And I just get to do all the fun, creative, like data and product stuff. Oh, that sounds like the dream. How did you handle everything, especially as a solo founder the last year, but like, how did you handle everything? And, and also being remote, I don't know if that helped or not, like being three hours out of the city. It definitely helped my quality of life. It's just nice to not have the commute. It's really nice to live close to the Adirondacks because as we mentioned, like I do a lot of rock climbing and hiking and that's kind of what I do to unwind on the weekends or I turn off my phone and I just do stuff outside. We have a lot of animals and to me, taking care of animals is like therapy. It's so relaxing. Mm. Animals love you no matter what. Um, So it's really helped my mental health to have a better routine that's closer to nature, closer to the outdoors. I honestly just even feel happier in the last year, even though it was really stressful than I did when I was commuting into New York City and it was so crazy. I would much prefer what I'm doing today. Do you guys have like cows on the farm, right? Yeah, my partner is a farmer and he is into regenerative agriculture, which means that Mm. like the vegetables, the animals, they all work symbiotically on the land. So we have oxen and the oxen are not for meat. They're for actually doing work instead of using Mm. farm equipment. So plowing the fields, clearing trees, doing things like that. We have um, baby cows who will become a team Mm. of oxen. So we got them when they're about a month old. So they're actually bottle fed milk. So it's part of my daily routine is like feeding these cute little cows like bottles of milk. Um, But they'll eventually be trained to become the new oxen team as they get older. We have goats and goats are great for kind of clearing out the brush. They just eat all the stuff that you would clear anyways. Plus there are Angora goats and Zach, my partner is learning how to actually do stuff with their wool at the wool mill by us. So there's also cool things to do in that regard. We also have chickens and then we have two rescue dogs and two rescue cats. So we do literally have a very full farm, but I love having all the animals and actually having part of my day be about taking care of the animals. It just feels good and like very grounding. That's amazing. So your day is like taking care of the animals, feeding baby cows, and yeah. then like at Atola running the yeah. ship. <laughs> Basically, it's so funny because it's like, very contrasting, but it feels balanced. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I can't remember the last time I like hung out with an animal other than a dog or cat. 
but yeah. probably a sign to get out out of the city. Cows, I've never really spent much time around them, but they remind me of big dogs. Like they're mm. so emotional. They like attention like dogs do. They're very sweet and they sometimes even nuzzle you. They're good at listening to directions so you can actually train them mm. to do stuff. So I, I'm like, oh my gosh, these are like my giant dogs now. Oh my God. very giant yeah <laughs> that made me run around less yeah yeah you'd be surprised cow really? little cows get the zoomies i'll have to send you some videos and they yeah. run around like crazy like i was not expecting it and it really made me laugh like no they get way. their own energy and like just kind of like run all around <laughs> oh my god how's the renovation going the story of the beginning of my summer was just, it was so stressful. So we were living in Hudson before, which is about an hour south of where we live now. And we sold our house within literally a day of putting it on the market. Whoa. Um, and our renovation was not done. And the person who bought it, they paid over asking and they wanted mm-hmm. to move in right away. So we got mm. stuck in this very awkward situation for like, we had to live in an Airbnb for a while. And then we moved into our house and didn't have a bathroom. Oh, so we no. had to like shower at the YMCA and they put like a porta potty outside our house. It was terrible. <gasps> and this is literally at the same time that I was having all these like acquisition conversations in this legal stuff. And I like was so stressed I was just like I was like wow you don't even realize until things like that happen how much your daily routine influences like how stressed you feel because Mm -hmm. I felt so stressed just like having my daily routine out of whack we also didn't have a kitchen for a while so we could only eat food out of the fridge or grill oh my god but the whole construction industry was so delayed because everything, everyone's doing stuff with their house, the prices of wood, so crazy high. So our renovation is finally almost done, but it's about two months behind. And those Mm. two months were really stressful that like the contractors weren't showing up or it just, they really, you know, it was an expensive project for us, but in the scale of like projects for the builders, it was very, very small. They were doing like mm. multi-million dollar projects that they just deprioritized ours and it felt really shitty, right. mm. but luckily it's almost over and it looks great. It was really cool to use my architecture and design skills to design a lot of the renovation yeah. and see it get built. So I'm really happy with it, but it was rough to live in the house during the renovation. I bet, especially going through all the work stuff too. That's a lot. Yeah, there was like one point in time where my sister was staying with us in the guest bedroom and we didn't have any furniture downstairs. And for some reason I was like sitting on an air mattress doing all these legal documents, doing emails. It was like, so it was like so sad. Oh my God. (laughs) I didn't have the office, like nothing was set up and no furniture was in the house and it was like dusty. And I was like, this is hilarious. This feels like I should be on like a Silicon Valley episode about just like behind the scenes of like the, the rough times of a startup. <laughs> Seriously, you should get your own Netflix show or something. Yeah. <laughs> I guess to end off, anything else you do to keep sane, especially as an entrepreneur? I would say my weekly routines are some of the most sacred and important to me. So beyond just the daily routine, Sundays are an important day in my life because I do a lot of my food prep and my meal prep. And similar Mm -hmm. to you having food sensitivities and gut issues, there's like certain 
foods that I like to cook that really just make me feel good. And when I spend the time doing that on Sundays for the week, like pre-plan my lunches, it always helps because I I don't feel like too busy during the day that I'm just like grabbing something that doesn't agree with my stomach. Following a consistent workout schedule, one thing that I really lost as a founder, even though I like to stay active, was I was training during MIT for a really big climb. And I'm the person who's motivated Mm. by like a big lofty end goal. It keeps me consistent and like a reason to to show up every week and like stay on a schedule. And so now I'm starting to think about like training for that same climb again so that I have a more consistent schedule versus like, all right, I guess I'll do like a random 15 minute workout now while I have this mm. small window, really planning yeah. that into my daily routine. And I've started waking up early on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays to like train and do stuff before work. And that always like sets a good tone to my day. And then the other thing has been during COVID, I prioritized drinking like a lot of water every day. It's just really changed how I feel. I thought it was like so dumb before to really keep track of that. Like I didn't feel like I needed to, but I got one of those huge gallon water jugs that became popular on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And I would like challenge myself to drink that every day. And I felt great. And those like three small tweaks and just like planning out my week better, doing my meal prep and honestly just taking care of myself during this time Mm -hmm. has made such a huge difference. What's the big climb you're training for? Uh, It's in Switzerland. It's on the Eiger, which is like a pretty big and famous mountain for mountaineering and climbing. And it's one of the easier climbs on the Eiger, which is like a notoriously like very hard mountain to climb. It's called the Middle Edgy Ridge. And it's a ridge line climb that's kind of a mix of rock climbing, mountaineering, and like ice climbing. It's actually cool to train for because it's like you have to train all seasons and living in upstate New York I'm like oh yeah this gives me something to do and like (laughs) try to train for in the winter exactly it's been my dream to climb that I got really close in grad school like I really was feeling like I was technically ready for it and I was in shape enough and then I started my company and I didn't have time Mm. or money to do it and now I feel like I have a little bit more breathing room um that maybe I can reschedule it Oh man, that'd be so cool. Sounds like you got to carry a ton of gear too, like your pickaxes and whatnot. Yeah, ice climbing, you got to carry a lot of stuff. A lot of like long rock climbing, you have to carry a lot of stuff too. So honestly, a lot of training that I would do for that is literally just like walking on a Stairmaster or going on hikes with like really heavy packs. When I was training for it in grad school, I would go to the climbing gym and I'd wear a weighted vest to simulate Mm. wearing a heavy backpack wall climbing. Oh my God. (laughs) I have an old colleague that does rucking. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's essentially Uh, hiking with a like 50 pound backpack. Yeah. I feel like I've done that informally and I didn't have a name for it. So now I know. (laughs) (laughs) You're a rucker. (laughs) Well, keep me posted. I definitely want to stay in the loop of your big adventure. Yeah. I think that's just, you know, maybe it's the personality of an entrepreneur, but I really like to challenge myself with something lofty. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm the type of person who loves type two fun. Like if it's difficult, then it's more rewarding. And so I think (laughs) it's just like part of my personality. (laughs) to do stuff like that. that. Well, on that note, this has been super fun. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And if listeners are interested in learning more about you and Atola, I guess now function, where can they find you guys? 
Atola's website is atola.com, A-T-O-L-L-A, and functions is functionofbeauty.com. And you can look out for us to launch something very cool sometime in Q1 of next year. Exciting. All right. Thanks, Meg. Thanks so much for having me. This was so fun. And that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. I'd love to hear what you got out of this episode. Take a picture of where you're listening from and tag me on a story at Inside Out with Jane. I'll be back here next Tuesday. And in the meantime, chat with you online. Bye.